Welcome to Creative On Purpose Live. These conversations are about flying higher and endeavors that make a difference. Step into possibility with integrity and intention. It's time to be creative on purpose. Are you ready? Let's go. I'm your host, Scott Perry, author of Endeavor and Chief Difference Maker at Creative On Purpose. Learn more about me and my work and grab the free Endeavor Basics micro course at creativeonpurpose.com. Let's meet today's guest. Derek Sivers, so excited to have you here. Please tell our viewers who you are, what you're up to these days, and where they can connect with you to learn more. Thanks, Scott. Um, wow, that was a multi-part question. Uh, where am I? Uh, I'm at home in Oxford, England. Uh, who am I? Uh, I was a professional musician for 15 years, and uh, way back in 1997, I was selling my CD on my band's website when all of my musician friends said, hey dude, could, could you sell my music through your website too? And I said, yes. And I accidentally started the largest seller of independent music on the web. I called it CD Baby. I did it for 10 years until I felt done with it and uh, sold the company in 2008, gave all the money to charity, and wrote a book about it for our mutual friend, Seth Godin, called Anything You Want. And so that's my book about my tale of how I built and grew and sold the company. And uh, let's see, in the last few years, I've just been pop philosopher at large, asking myself questions, answering them and questioning my answers. And I think that brings us up to this moment. How was that? Fantastic. Uh, how about a quick uh, website or blog or social media? Oh, yeah. Sivers.org. Yeah. S-I-V-E-R-S dot O-R-G is my website where I keep everything. Yes. And a brilliant blog. I love how clean it is. I must say that. <laughs> I was there earlier today because you sent out an email about your most recent post and uh, just super clean and easy and, and full of juicy goodness. i I guess I'd love to just start. I actually know you through CD Baby. I was one yeah. of the early yeah. clients, and you helped me make some money as a musician <laughs> way back in the day. Um, and I, I love and I, and and I've I've read your book about that experience. And I, what I love about that whole journey is the beginning. Like it, it's just this wacky collision of serendipitous moments that leads you from being a musician hawking his CD on his own site to be developing this huge entity that is making it possible for thousands, millions of other musicians to, to do the same and augment their income as working musicians. How, do, how has that kind of serendipity continued to play since you left CD Baby? I don't know about continued, but, but there might be a lesson for your listeners in that moment. Because here we are talking on creative on purpose. But I think it's, you can be creative on purpose, but I think success can be an accident. Mm. Because you, it's a little bit like lottery tickets, right? Like you never know what thing you do is going to hit. So for years leading up to that, I mean, I... Uh, I ran a record label, I ran a booking agency, I had a recording studio, I put out my own music, I did lots of various things. And then this one tiny little side project that was just, you know, one of the lesser things that I did is the thing that just took off. 
And it felt a little bit like when I've read interviews with successful musicians, a lot of them say that the song that became their biggest hit was a song that they almost didn't record and just threw away because it was just so silly or stupid that it was just added at the last minute as an afterthought. It was a little joke song they used to sing on the bus. So they recorded it and boom, that becomes the big hit. Which is just so weird that you can pour your heart and soul into something that can have all kinds of meaning to you and you can say, this is it. I've got a feeling. This is the powerful message I need to deliver to the world. But then the world doesn't care about that. (laughs) And then the stupid little throwaway thing that doesn't mean anything to you can become your big success. So um, that actually happened later. I guess I skipped a few steps when I uh, told my initial hello story, that after selling CD Baby, I decided that I wanted to be a TED speaker. This was like back in 2008 when I was into TED. I'm not anymore. But at the time I was into it, I was like, yeah, that's what I want to do. I want them, I want to be invited to be a speaker at the TED conference, not TEDx. I mean, the real big main stage TED. And so I set that as a mission. And, um, Even that, I pitched three different talk ideas to them. I pitched the one that I really, really wanted to do. And then as a backup, I pitched the one that I also kind of wanted to do. But then they had a space on the form where you're supposed to fill in three ideas. So for the third one, I said, I don't know, like there's a Newsweek article I read this morning that was kind of interesting. So I wrote that as the third one. And of course, that's the one they chose. So now I'm up on stage at the TED conference speaking about some stupid article that I (laughs) read moments before filling out a form. And that's the one that was chosen to deliver on stage. So um, yeah, for your listeners, I just want to reemphasize the fact that I think people often like to make it look like their success was some kind of deliberate plan, but so often it's just the random role of fate. I really appreciate and love you highlighting that because one of the things that I have found is that it's important to me to set an intention and to be aiming at something, but to not be attached to the outcome that I'm pointing at, because that's not really up to me. And as you say, so often, you know, in a conversation with Michael Bungay Stanier on this broadcast, he talked about this, like, it's important to set your aim. It's important to remember that you're rarely going to end up where you aimed at, but you'll probably end up somewhere still. That's really great because you are paying attention and taking advantage of the opportunities and handling the obstacles and all these things that you could not possibly have known about until you started stepping into the possibility that you set forth for yourself. What are some of the tools that have, Wait, or go ahead. The tools. One of the most interesting ideas I've ever heard about what we were just talking about is that goals are not meant to shape the future. Like we think of goals as some kind of tool to shape the future, right? But, you know, not to get new agey, but the future doesn't exist. Like the future is a term that we call our imagination. Like when we, when we picture something in the future, we call that the future, but 
you know, in reality, the future doesn't exist. All we really have is the present moment. So a good goal can't shape the future because the, sh- the future doesn't exist. A good goal is something that changes your actions in the present moment. It's like, if a goal makes you jump out of your chair and get to work, it's a good goal. That's all it's really meant to do. What happens in the future, who knows? But if, if you deciding this is where I'm headed, mm-hmm. if that gets you, if that changes your actions for the better in the present moment, it's a good goal. Whether that was like one of those giant goals, like I'm going to be a billionaire of world, you know, whatever, whatever, you know, uh, or if it's just something like I want to finish this song tonight, mm-hmm. whatever goal it is, it, it doesn't necessarily shape the future. It just has to shape your present actions. Yeah. Well, I, that reminds me a little bit of the um, Cicero's archer metaphor. And he's talking about Stoic philosophy and, Base, uh, or he's what he says is you the archer must set his aim he must aim at the bullseye he must also accept that whether or not the arrow hits the bullseye once he releases the arrow is really not up to him so many things okay. can happen that cause the arrow to go somewhere else so his duty is in the moment in the present moment to put forth his best effort and that the effort is the the actual reward not the achievement or failure of hitting the target exactly, you know, where we're intended. I love the fact that we use the word release when we talk about, we released an album. I released a book. It's like, yep, it's released. (laughs) It's gone. You let go of it. Um, And we don't really say I released an article on my blog. We say posted. It's Hmm. a shame. We should say released. I released an idea to the world. I released a new idea. Anyway, yeah. Oh, that's, no, that's fantastic. Well, what I was wanting to unpack a little bit was, you know, as somebody like you that has done a lot of different things and, um, you know, not often ended up exactly where I intended, what are, when I say tools, I just mean more like habits, ideas, or ways of being that have helped you, because I get the sense from everything I've read of yours that through this whole journey of yours, you've really experienced a pretty consistent state of feeling like you were flourishing, thriving, that what you were doing mattered, that it was having an impact, that it was serving others. What, what are some of the, the, the habits or just ways of being in the world that have helped you? Or, or if I'm, if I'm mis- um, misrepresenting your state of mind, <laughs> that's well, okay too. Let me think. Um, Sometimes I do things because I really, really, really want to do it. And I really don't care what anybody else thinks. And when you do that, you have to let go of the idea of financial reward or even even social reward Mm -hmm. for doing that. like that's the that's a classic starving artist problem, right? Is when somebody does something that has great value to them, but not value to the world. Uh, whereas it's, there's a separation. In order to, if you want the world to reward you, um, then you have to do things that are valuable valuable to the world. Mm-hmm. And you could either define that as 
taking a job that pays well, or um, on the creative side, I think of it as just getting the world's feedback for what they want from you, right? So as soon as I sold CD Baby in 2008 and I launched my personal sivers.org site, um, I posted on the homepage, I said, here are the six new projects I'm gonna be working on in the upcoming year. So um, let me know if you're interested in any of them. And I, and I described for each one, like headline description, headline description of like six different projects I'm working on now. And four of them had no interest. One had a little interest and one of the six, people went, oh my God, yes, I need that. Dude, please let me be the first customer. Can I use it now? Can I try it now? And there was one that was just clearly the thing that everybody wanted from me. So I just let go of the other five and I just did that one. And so I think I do that a lot in life. I think I'm in constant direct communication with my audience. And that helps a lot. Like. I listen to what people want from me. And then I can decide that, okay, if I'm looking for social or monetary reward, then this is what I should be doing. And sometimes I, I hear what the world wants from me and I just decide like, no, there's something I really feel like doing. And even if the world doesn't want it from me, I just feel like doing this. So I think those are my, I don't know if I could call that tools, but that's the mindset. Yeah, well, and it, and it informs a really generous posture. I think the, the, the artists that I know, musicians and otherwise, anybody that, that's engaged in some sort of meaningful enterprise that intends to make the world a better place or to enhance the lives of others, isn't, isn't just serving their own selfish needs, wants, right. and dreams, and desires. They're right. actually paying attention to what the person in front of them needs, wants, dreams and desires and trying to generously help that person get from where they are to where they want to go. Right. I often think of, I often think of it as being a public servant. Mm -hmm. You know, I think of like what I'm doing as public service, because if it wasn't, well, then I can just, I don't have to release anything. Like I can just, if I was just doing this for myself only, then I could just stay in the comfort of my room and just create all day long. I don't have to release anything. I don't have to get any nasty comments. I don't have to get any spam. You know, I don't have to put my ass on the, on the public stage. Right. Anytime you're putting yourself out there publicly, I really do think it's, it's generosity. Yeah. And courage. I mean, I, and we talked. We were talking a little bit about purpose before we turned on the, uh, before we we arrived here at the page. And and I'd love to go ahead and dive into that a little bit. But, you know, I think you were talking about playing with with your son, and you know how that compares to the the work that you do, um, and having that sense of play. And I find that approaching the the hard stuff the getting up in front of people the here i made this i made this for you i hope you like it um if i approach that with that kind of childlike sense of wonder awe curiosity and this the lack of um ego kind of concerns uh, and just, you know, it's, I, I guess it's not even courage. It's like, it's just the absence of all of the 
anxiety that's usually self-inflicted that prevents you from standing up to speak your truth and, and share your, your talent. Um, how does that, how does that land? And, and you, you had some really interesting things to say about where purpose comes from or where purpose lies in the work that we're doing. Sure. Okay. The two very different subjects. Um, but let's talk about the new one you just said that I'm not saying this is a good thing and maybe it's not, but I, I make a huge difference between private and public. Mm. So my private creation, when I'm sitting here with my fingers flying and making things, that's just like playing. That's just completely selfless, whatever. I cease to exist. I'm you know, just existing through the work, um, playing with ideas, doing stuff, making ideas happen. But then when it comes time to release something publicly, I put a very, very strong filter on what I put out there publicly. Maybe it's like my minimalist tendency. I don't want to put junk out into the world. And if I'm going to be emailing, I've got this, you know, my mailing list is like half a million people. So if I'm emailing half a million people saying, uh, check this out, I have to feel through and through that this isn't going to waste a single minute of anybody's time. So that's why anything I post on my site, I edit the hell out of it. Like I found out recently that my average, an average length of an article I post is 19 sentences. <laughs> and, but of course I have, you know, hundreds of sentences in my private version, but I edit, 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 edit until it's like, I can't get rid of any more sentences. Right. I tried, but this is as short as I can possibly make it. And I've chopped out every unnecessary word and now I put it out into the public. So no, I wouldn't say that, that the public creation is childlike. It's actually very, very mature. <laughs> um, but the private creation is childlike. It's more play-like. Yeah, two different mindsets. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I'm and and I share that. I mean, I'm I'm standing, sitting here with less is more uh, tattooed on my bookshelf because it <laughs> seems to be the thing that I've been put on this planet to learn, uh, and I resisted mightily up until the very recently. And like you, I'm I'm I I don't I haven't done sentence counts, but I try to keep my blog post at two minute read. I, mm. I, I want to make one point and make it as succinctly as possible so, so somebody can take that idea and do something with it. Right. Um, and so I, I get that at the same time, I'm thinking about the beginning of my journey with creative on purpose and where I, it actually existed as a different brand. And I didn't really have a clear idea of what it was, what it was for, who it was for. I just was typing and I was blogging and broadcasting in an effort to, to figure out what it was that I was trying to do and who it was supposed to be for. And so there's a part of um, a part of the process, at least in the early stage for me that involved, you know, allowing myself to, without trying to, to contribute to the clutter, put stuff out that was just good enough to help me get what I needed, which was the clarity so that I could better serve the people that I was aiming to serve. Nice. So I, I don't, that, does that play? I mean, at this point in your journey, you seem to be 
very, very clear and very, very precise with who it's for and the change that you're mm, trying to make. No, I used to. It's funny. When I, through CD Baby years and, and even a little after, I felt like every single person I knew was a musician or connected with music. But then a year after CD Baby, suddenly I was on stage at TED, not just once, but actually I, I went on the TED main stage three times in one year. And so for the following years, everybody I met knew me from the TED conference. And people would ask like, so what did you do before TED? <laughs> and I went, wow, that, that was such a great moment for me because I really thought that like CD Baby was going to be the peak of my career. And so mm -hmm. it's really nice that it hasn't been. Um, but then, yeah, then I got, it was a little confusing because now it felt like everybody I met was like a Tedster, they call themselves. And then Seth Godin asked me to write a book. And so I put out my book, Anything You Want in 2011. And it's about starting, building and selling a company. And then all the people that met me through that book think of me as this tech entrepreneur because that's the way it comes across. So then I was meeting a bunch of these tech entrepreneurs that I have almost nothing in common with. Um, so then I got really confused who my audience was. So now it's pretty split up. It's like kind of some music people, some TED people, some entrepreneur people. Sometimes I just want to talk about my kind of pop philosophy ideas on how mm -hmm. to live. And some people in my audience say, well, this isn't music, so I'm not interested. Or entrepreneurs say, well, this, this won't make me any money, so I'm not interested. So I am a little uh, mixed up with who I'm talking to, but I'll just keep carrying on and see who's interested. Yeah, I think, I mean, I've been following you since the CD Baby days. Yep. And, and I think in part because I see a simpatico, I see a fellow traveler, I see yeah. someone, I see a seeker and a striver. And that's what appeals to me about what you share. I mean, it was great that you helped me sell CDs. Thank you for that. Believe <laughs> me. Um, and the TED Talk phase was inspiring. The book was very inspiring. Um, in fact, I got that book for Christmas five or six or seven or eight years ago. When, when did the book come out? 2011. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, but, you know, I, I continue to visit your blog today because you have a perspective on the journey that is different but enhances the same journey that I kind of find myself on. And I, I to me, that's the kind of audience that I see. Um, you know, when I talk to other people that follow Derek Sivers, they're people like me. They're people that are on the path, on the journey, and looking for some insight and inspiration that will help them get where they want to go. Cool. Thank you. What about you? So what have you found? Who Who's listening to us now? <laughs> who tunes uh, in creative so on the, A lot of this, this audience is attached to the work that I do with and for Seth Godin and the Akimba Workshop. So there are Alt-MBA alums and Akimba Workshop alums and just followers. I, I call them Sethlings. Um, <laughs> I've never heard that. I love that. Sethlings. Sethlings. Yeah. So uh, that's definitely a big part of it. Now, a, a lot of my list began or jumped from being followers of me, Scott Perry, musician, to Scott Perry, I don't know what I'm doing, to eventually creative on purpose. And they've stuck with me. And I again, I would argue that, you know, 
all along, I think that thread of seeking and striving to be and do more and be better at both, you know, uh, has been a thread that has, you know, caused people to continue to follow me. And so the people that are, and I'm not on Facebook right now, I'm sure there are people here because in the Seth world, you are a well-known and uh, famous celebrity uh, name, um, maybe notorious as well. And, um, you know, so those, so that there are people like, I think you and I, people that are living, living the dream, acting as if, and, you know, eager to see what's next. By the way, cute story about, uh, about my book. Since, since now that I know we're talking to Sethlings, you guys will appreciate <laughs> this. That, um, people had asked me for years to write a book. And I said, no, I don't, I don't feel mm. like it. I don't want to write a book. I post my little articles. That's enough. And yeah, I just had a staunch no to anybody who asked. And then, yeah, in 2011, uh, Seth called me, not emailed me, called me. My phone rings, you know, 914 area code. Derek, it's Seth. I said, oh, hey, Seth. He said, so I'm starting a publishing company and I want you to be my second author. I said, okay. <laughs> and that was that. So it's like, I really just, I did the book because Seth asked. So um, that was kind of funny. And then, yeah, so now I'm totally into it and I'm working, I'm gonna, should be releasing three new books this year. Oh, fantastic. Would you, as we're wrapping up our time together, are you willing to give any hints as to? Sure, yeah. Um, it's the one I'm most excited about is the third one called How to Live, which is uh, 29 one-sided arguments answering one question with one conclusion. And I'm so damn excited about the book called How to Live that when I started on it two years ago, I went, oh man, this is big. This is exciting. This is huge. And I thought, well, I have to put out my previous writing before I release this. I just kind of want to honor the chronology of it. So before, like while I'm working on how to live, I put out um, my collection of writing for musicians called Your Music and People. Mm -hmm. And then Everything I've done since 2010 until now, I collected up the best of all of it, and I'm calling it Hell Yeah or No, which are just generally thoughts on what's worth doing. Mm -hmm. And then the third one after that will be How to Live. And I, I, I wanted to mention, so the, the Hell Yes, hell, hell No came up in a conversation in uh, Seth's community earlier this morning in a conversation that I was a part of. Um, and it's that one idea perhaps is one of the most profound and powerful ones that you've ever shared that that's had a huge impact on, on me and making progress in my endeavor. Um, and I just love that, uh, the whole concept. And I would really love for you to just unpack quickly what that oh, uh, sure, means yeah. for everybody else. Cause I think it's such a powerful idea. Well, first I should say it's a specific tool for a specific situation. When you're overwhelmed, if you feel too, if you're spread too thin, if you've said yes to too much, the idea is you've got to raise the bar all the way up. And if anything that you're presented with is making you feel anything less than, oh, hell yeah, oh my <laughs> God, that would be amazing. 
If it's anything less than that, you just say no. So you say no to almost everything. And the reason is, is that most of us feel that we're supposed to fill up our time. But because you've filled up your time, now you don't have any time to throw yourself in completely when you find something amazing. So instead you say no to almost everything. So when that rare one out of a thousand thing comes along, then you can give it the biggest damn yes. And you will have space and time in your life to throw yourself into it completely. And ultimately, I think that's better for your career, for your life, for your peace of mind. I think it's more impressive to kick major butt on the things, on the, on the occasional rare thing you say yes to instead of kind of half-assing everything else along the way. So yeah, that's the hell yeah or no philosophy. I love it. Well, in a way you've answered the traditional last question, which is to deliver a one piece tip or piece of advice that you'd like to leave the listeners with that will help them fly higher in an sure, let's basic to make a difference. <laughs> um, so yeah, what's, what's your top piece of advice or tip for somebody that wants to, to do better with and for the people that they care about? Ask them since you put it that way. So many people guess what people might be wanting. But if you just ask them directly, it is so useful. It's one of the best things I ever did. My last year at CD Baby, I had time on my hand. I sent a two sentence email to a quarter million people in my database saying like, hey, I've got time on my hands now. What can I help you with? Lay it on me. And I got like 180,000 replies from people telling me exactly how I could help them in their own words. It was wonderful, not a survey monkey, not click this and fill in this box, but no, just open-ended. Like this is important. Take the time to ask an open-ended question and listen to people's replies. I love it. Well, thank you so much, Derek, for sharing some wisdom and part of your adventures in living well. Uh, and thank you, everyone, for tuning in. We appreciate you lending us some of your valuable time and attention. And we hope that today's broadcast motivates you to lean into an endeavor that matters with greater curiosity and courage. Learn more about Derek Sivers at Sivers.org. Is that correct, Derek? Yep, S-I-V-E-R-S dot O-R-G with a podcast now too. Fantastic. And of course, it's always great to see you at creativeonpurpose.com. Now, go out and make a difference and keep flying higher. Derek Sivers, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks, Scott.